Yes. <gasps> you brought me wine. Oh, oh my god! So I'm not gonna be the only one that's drinking. You're such a good husband. I love you so much. I love you so much too. Yay! Welcome back to Dinner and a Murder, episode six, part two. We're your hosts. I'm Rose. And I'm Chelsea. And like we said in part one that came out on Thursday, this is our Delaware Day special extravaganza two-part episode. Dun-dun-dun. And in our last episode, Chelsea talked about Tony or Tony. Ooh. Tony. <laughs> I really was diving in to that, like, mom mentality. It was wow. like Tony Capano. Thomas oh. Capano. <laughs> yeah. Tony Capano. Yes. And I had a lot more to say than I anticipated. So here we are on part two. Yeah. I feel like I'm probably going to have the same thing. But so we're just going to jump right on in. Part two is moi. I will be doing a food as well, a restaurant. I, I don't know what you would call it. It's a... Capriati's isn't a restaurant. No. It's a deli. There's... So yeah, there's a sandwich shop. We'll be doing another staple, although it did not start in Delaware. It started in Pennsylvania. Semantics. I will be talking about Wawa. No, <laughs> my favorite. And any person who is from the Tri-State area or New York or Maryland and they're from the areas where they don't have Wawa, they know the cult following of the Wawa lovers. It's... Hoagie Fest. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ugh. When they have, like, their drinks for sale for, like, an oh hour. My oh, gosh. my gosh. Free coffee day. I mean. Free coffee day. Okay, so for anybody who doesn't know because they're not from... Delaware, Pennsylvania, or New Jersey, or parts of Maryland. Wawa is a so much more than a gas station, okay? It's not 7-Eleven. It's not Royal Farms. Oh, no. It's not, Don't even compare it to Royal Farms. It's not Circle K. It's not Quick Check. I can't even think of an equivalent over here in the UK. It is not any of those things where you get gas, petrol, as they call it here, it, I mean, it could be its own deli, okay? It's, it's, a uh, it's everything. Store. It's a convenience store, deli, and gas station all wrapped into one. You don't have to worry about dying from, like, gas, like, you know how people, like, the yep. urban yep. legend of, like, gas station sushi. Um, yeah. yeah, I you're mean, you're not gonna it's die like, from eating or Wawa food. I mean, no. I say that, but watch some something I mean, happen. But it's not like <laughs> going to Seven Eleven and ordering a taquito no. that you know has been on that heat lamp for like four hours. <laughs> no, it would never be for hours because people get there and order that food every second of every day. Okay? Yes, it's a deli. It's a made-to-order <laughs> deli. So you go up to the little screen uh, on the kiosk and you order your food and they make it right there in front of you. It is, mm. honestly, when I say a cult following, I mean, I refuse to go to any other gas station other than Wawa. Mm -hmm. If I'm traveling somewhere and I need to get a, something to eat, it's Wawa. Yep. Yep. I had Wawa right before <laughs> right before I went to the cake tasting for your wedding. Oh, yes. Um, yes, yes. To, I wanted to make sure that my taste buds were not biased, that they were starving, okay? I wanted <laughs> to make sure that I was well-fed and then went to the cake testing. Uh, tasting, sorry, testing. Um, I mean, you did test it, technically. I did test it. It's, it's very similar words. Um <laughs> But Wawa is amazing. They have coffee. They have a bunch of different iced coffees, smoothies, milkshakes. They now have soft serve in a lot of places. Mm. They have oh, my favorite soup that they have is chicken corn chowder. Oh, yes. And uh. it is the only chicken corn chowder I've ever had that I like 
you have to have it. Like, it's hard to describe. Mm -hmm. It's perfectly seasoned. It's creamy. It's warm. It's delicious. It's got chicken. It's got corn. It's got potatoes. I don't know what else you want (laughs) in a soup. It's a chowder. I mean, I could eat Wawa mac and cheese day in and day out and never get tired of it. Now, see, I am a heavy advocate for Wawa mashed potatoes. I mean... I, mashed I, potatoes in a pinch, yes, okay? Yes. But. I mean, I like to go for the, the chicken bowls where you get, like, the chicken on top and then you can yeah. pick, like, stuffing and mashed potatoes or mashed potatoes and mac and cheese. Yeah. I always go for a chicken bowl with mashed potatoes and mac and cheese. Gotta yeah, have it. I, but mm, they just mm. have, like, so many things to eat there. A bunch of b- bowls and stuff. But since it is the holiday season and Chelsea was talking about a bobby... At Capriati's. I'll be talking about their hot turkey gobbler, mm. which uh, in essence is basically the not the same by all means, but contains similar ingredients to the bobby. It's similar. Uh, so the hot turkey, as it says in its title, as opposed to Capriati's cold turkey, the hot turkey is slices of turkey breasts smothered in some gravy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some poultry gravy. Like I said, it's hot. It's warm. It, like, warms your soul. I love it. The gobbler has the hot turkey, the cranberry, and the uh, the stuffing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I will straight up just get hot turkey on, on a roll. <laughs> because it's just good. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're, like, sprinkling, like, drugs in it to, like, make you want it more. I don't know what it is. It's just, like, it's just, like, you get it, and then you get your iced coffee made to order. Their frozen cappuccinos are to die for. I'm excited. I know I said this last episode. I go home when this airs two weeks after this airs, and I'm, like, I say home, but I really love the UK really a lot. But I go to visit my family, and I'm excited to eat the Philly cheesesteaks, to get the bobbies, to get the hot turkey. I am ready for it. I miss it. It's not enough for me to want to live in the U.S. forever, but it's enough for me to come visit my family. (laughs) So I think that's all I have to say about Wawa, other than, I mean, do you have any other tidbits about it? Yes, it's... It's amazing. It's my favorite thing ever. When I was home in September for my sister's wedding, the hotel that Ryan and I were staying at was right across the street from Wawa. So I literally had Wawa for breakfast every single day. It was so unhealthy. Oh my God, I completely forgot about Wawa Sizzlies. Oh my God. Uh, Yeah, you gotta get that bacon, egg, and and cheese sizzly. Bacon, egg, and cheese. Sizzlies are just breakfast breakfast sandwiches. You can get them breakfast. Um, (laughs) They're basically just uh, you can get them on bagels or whatever they consider croissants, but they're still good. And I think now they have what is it, the waffle? Yes, there's like, yeah. I think it's like either a waffle version or a pancake version, but it's like Something a McGriddle like kind of, but better than a yeah. McGriddle. And it's like bacon, egg, and cheese. My go-to is obviously uh, egg white and uh, turkey sausage and cheese because I don't eat pork. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's still so good. It's so good. And now I just thought about it and I'm like, I used to stop there to get their hash browns. Oh my God. Tier one hash browns, fast food hash browns. Okay, no, here's okay. my here's my go-to breakfast from Wawa. I go to the deli and I get a <laughs> breakfast burrito. And then of course you have to customize it naturally. Yep. You gotta get the bacon, egg, and cheese in the breakfast burrito, and then you gotta add in a hash brown. Mm. I used to be obsessed with their stuffed pretzels. Oh um. my gosh, those were the best things ever. That was yes. my that was my like after school snack when I was younger. Yes, I always got uh, either the sweet one or the cheddar one. I always got the cream cheese stuffed pretzel. Yep, the cream cheese one. Yep. is the one I'm thinking of. I mean, there's no way. Ice cappuccino. Yes, I mean there there's just there's no way we can describe Wawa that sounds. As good as what it actually is. You just, you have to go and you have to experience it for yourself. You have to go. 
just go. Lose, you know, go. honestly, just visit this, visit Delaware, go to a Wawa. Try not to go want any of them that are on Route 13. I'm just going to tell you guys that right now. Um, <laughs> well, we'll get into why that's the case with your story. So much anymore. Counts. But yes, my story, good segue, is going to be about Delaware's one and only known serial killer. Mm-hmm. Insert oohs and ahs here. Um, <laughs> ooh, uh, ah. ooh, ah, so, this serial killer, I'm just going to go right off the bat. His name was Stephen Brian Pennell. He was known as the Route 40 Killer, infamously known as the Route 40 Killer, but he also went uh, was known by uh, the Corridor Killer and the Route 13 Killer. And the reason that is, is that Route 40 splits off into route 13 Mm -hmm. um so they are very very close and they are very very main i guess you call them uh, highways yeah Um, i mean they're not really highways they're more of uh freeways like there's traffic signals and everything yeah yeah yeah, they are very major ones in delaware in fact uh 13 for the longest time i think until this period was the main route to get to beaches south delaware to the beaches yep um which delaware is a coastal state in case that was not mentioned and is very well known for its beaches and most of its tourism comes from the beaches that are in the south uh parts of delaware so jumping right on in stephen pennell was born november 22nd 1957 in Glasgow, Delaware. Mm. He was an electrician by trade and, like I said, is Delaware's only known serial killer. He was the first condemned person to argue in the Delaware Supreme Court to ensure his death sentence in order to spare his family as he had a wife and two young children. What? Mm -hmm. I know it was like, oh, like I'm going to give you this little tidbit. But you're not going to know anything about it till later. Um, uh. <laughs> so shortly after the Thanksgiving of 1987, on November 29th, 23-year-old Shirley Ann Ellis left her house in Brookmont Farms, which is situated in between Food Lion and Governor Square on Route 40 today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is in the Newark and Bear area. So she left her house before 6 p.m. and started out her 14-mile walk to oh. Wilmington Hospital. Mm-hmm. Dear God, woman. She had in tow a dinner she was bringing to an AIDS patient. Mm-hmm. I actually looked up the weather for that day. The high was 50 degrees Fahrenheit. It didn't have a low. Mm-hmm. It was windy and raining heavily, so I imagine at 6 p.m. this time in November, it was much cooler. Oh, definitely. um, Than the 50 degrees. Shirley was a former sex worker and was familiar with Route 40. She had, however, left the profession to pursue nursing and had already started taking courses. Hmm. However, it was the 80s, and she knew hitchhiking along Route 40 was the best way to get into the city. I know nowadays we're like, oh, so stupid to hitchhike, but it was just the culture then. Yeah. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, Route 40 and Route 13 are major freeways and motorways. And like from the Newark Bear area into Wilmington, which is a major city Mm -hmm. in Delaware. Mm -hmm. However, the DART bus system isn't like it is today. And even today, it's really shitty. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So so it wasn't like she could just hop on a bus and get into the city. It's the 80s. People are a little bit more trusting. And hitchhiking is the way to go if you want to get into the city. Yep. Unfortunately, two teenagers looking for an ideal makeout spot would discover Shirley's body around 9.25 p.m. that night. Mm Mm-hmm. She was partially clothed and her legs were spread apart. After her autopsy, it was discovered that she was tortured and mutilated. Her feet and ankles had been bound and the black duct tape used to keep her from screaming was still attached to her hair. Oh my god. There was no sign of sexual assault, but she was tortured with work tools before she died. She was what? Tortured with uh, work tools, like pliers and such. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. 
<sighs> the killer then wrapped a ligature, they're not sure exactly what it was, around her neck and struck her head several times with a hammer. Oh, no. And it's not the end. It's just the beginning. Oh, God damn it. Yep. Seven months later, on June 28th, 1988, Catherine DeMario was walking along Route 40 around 11.30 p.m. She was 31 years old and had a history of being arrested several times to, for offenses relating to sex work. Mm-hmm. She was witnessed accepting a ride from a stranger in a blue van. Catherine's body would be found the next morning at 6.25 a.m. by workers building the Fox Run apartment complex. Oh, no. Which, Wait, so she was, like, on the property where Fox Run is now? Yes. Yeah, so it, the apartment complex we know to be there today yeah. wasn't completed at that time. So if you're trying to think about where Shirley was from and where Catherine's body was found... It's maybe five minutes apart on mm. the same stretch of road. Oh, jeez. Um, uh, yeah, it's by mm. where we grew up, so it's kind of like it's right there. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little nerve nerve-wracking to see how close to home it is. Yeah, um, it really is. Yeah, so the Route Forty killer is another kind of like boogeyman in Delaware. That not too many people hear about, unfortunately. Catherine was found completely naked, which is uh, differed from Shirley's case. But the evidence of torture and mutilation from the use of work tools was the same as Shirley. Mm-hmm. Everything was the same after, other than the, the fact that Catherine was completely naked and Shirley was only partially naked. Catherine was also strangled, then bludgeoned with a hammer. She wasn't sexually assaulted. And due to these similarities, the Newcastle County police concluded that the same killer committed both crimes. Well, duh. Another difference in Catherine's, in the case of Catherine DeMario's, the killer had left evidence on Catherine's body. She was covered with blue carpet fiber. Ooh, interesting. Could that be from a blue van, perhaps? Perhaps, maybe, mm-hmm. almost using our detective sleuthing skills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the Delaware State Police and NCCPD developed a task force with um, their headquarters near the Newcastle County Airport. Uh, it had 60 members and was the state's third largest police department at the time. Whoa. Yes. They not only were the third largest, they also had access to an airplane helicopters, and rental vehicles, and they had an unlimited budget, which was unprecedented anywhere, not Whoa. just Delaware. Fun fact, I've ridden in that Dell State helicopter. It's it's a lot of fun when you're not looking for a serial killer. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> I imagine so. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Task Force members met with the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit in Quantico, uh, which is located in Virginia, and they concluded there was a serial killer in Delaware, which mm-hmm. was everybody's fear. Nobody wanted it. To, obviously, nobody wanted that to be true. As Route 40 was the only connection between the two victims at the time, undercover female police officers were sent to the highway dressed as sex workers. They would engage with men who stopped in conversation, but never got into a vehicle. On August 22nd, 1988, Margaret Lynn Finner, a sex worker, went missing. She was working along US 13 when witnesses saw her leave in a blue Ford panel van with round headlights driven by a white male. Three months later, Margaret's body was found near the Chesapeake and Delaware Canal. Her body was in such advanced decomposition that the cause of death couldn't be determined, and no one was ever charged with her murder. Oh, God. Um, it's just insinuated that uh, yeah. Pennell was responsible. I mean, that was his fan. That was his description, so. hmm So, entered this bad bitch. On September 14th, 1988, Officer Renee Tashner, a, she was a 23-year-old 
Newcastle County police officer was disguised as a sex worker, she would come face to face with the killer. Officer Tashner was popular among the, quote, Johns, which were customers. Um, yeah. And she obviously didn't sleep with any of them, but she talked through several of them in the attempt to find the killer when a blue Ford panel van with round headlights drove past. Officer Tashner counted that the van had drove by her seven times in 20 minutes. Oh, God. What, like just waiting for her to be free so he could pick her up? She just clocked the van driving up and down the road seven times. Just looking Um, for somebody. Yeah. So whether it was her specifically or just trying to find a sex worker who was isolated, I'm not sure. Uh, Nobody's sure. Uh, So she decided to walk over to a more secluded area and the van stopped. Oh, oh no. A white male opened the side panel and revealed blue carpeting covering (gasps) the van's interior. Officer Tashner noted that the driver's behavior was cold and it was difficult to start a conversation with him. She stated that it was like he was, quote, looking right through me, unquote. Officer Tashner was able to collect fibers from the carpeting while flirting with the driver. She didn't get in, did she? No. She just, like, admired, quote, admired the interior, like, the carpeting. Oh, thank God. Um, But, like I said, like, none of the officers ever got into the vehicles for safety reasons. Yeah, I Um, mean, it was the 80s. I doubt they were wearing wires or anything. Um, I'm not sure about wires, but definitely not like GPS trackers or anything like that. No, definitely not. (laughs) So she was able to collect these fibers while she was flirting with him. He demanded that she get into the van and she refused and came up with some story about being tired from partying all night and that she needed to go home to go to bed. Uh, When she said this, the driver suddenly became, appeared to become suspicious and drove off. Oh, However, while Officer Tashner was conversing with the driver, her fellow officers that were staking out the area were able to run the van's plates and discovered that the van was registered to none other than Stephen Brian Pennell, Mm -hmm. a Delaware electrician with no criminal record. (laughs) Yet. Yet. Yeah. The task force accelerated their activities, um, meaning that... The blue fibers that Officer Tashner collected were sent for testing, and they were working to secure a search warrant to follow Pennell. Unfortunately, the killer also accelerated his activities. Oh, no. Yep, yep, yep. On September 16th, 1988, Michelle Gordon, a 22-year-old Newcastle resident, disappeared. She was also known to be a sex worker and was last seen on Route 40, hopping into the passenger side of a blue Ford panel van. Mm. The witness to the abduction knew both Michelle and Pennell, and she was able to immediately identify the vehicle. Unfortunately, four days later, Michelle's body washed up on the banks of the Chesapeake and Delaware Canal. Due to her cocaine addiction, she was the only victim that died while being tortured. According to the medical examiner, the drugs in her system made her heart unable to withstand the shock of the beating. Mm. She died. I don't know whether to be thankful that she didn't have to endure all the beating or sad about it. I mean, it's sad, but... I mean, it's like the level of of torture to have happened to just... Her heart gave out. I know she was hopped up like she had cocaine in her system, but still, it's... Three days later, 26-year-old Kathleen Meyer, another Brookmont Farms resident like Shirley Ann, was last seen hitchhiking along Route 40 around 9.30 p.m. An off-duty police officer witnessed her accepting a ride from a stranger in a blue Ford van. Aware of the murders and the connection to the blue van, he took down the license plate number, which was registered to Pennell. However, Kathleen's body was never found. Oh, my God. So I can't imagine being that police officer and having, like, Ugh. your gut feeling tell you, hey, like, take down this license plate number. Yeah, you and know then, something's wrong. The, and... Yeah. Obviously, it's the 80s, so it's like you're not going to get that immediately back. Mm-hmm. 
and you have no right and no reason to stop them. You're an off-duty police officer, even if you were on duty. You, you have no right to stop that van. Yeah, um, I mean, at, in that moment, he's not doing anything wrong. It's not like he could. Yeah, and it's just, it's a, it's heartbreaking. I can't imagine being that police officer, watching that woman get into that van. Knowing he's the just, last person that's going to see her alive. Yeah, and oh, her God, body would never be found. I just can't even handle that. At this point, the task force was watching Pennell's every move, though not well enough, but they were, Apparently I don't want to <laughs> judge too much, because um, they were doing what they could mm-hmm. with the fact that they didn't have search warrants and yeah. all of that, yeah, yeah. and also the 80s. Um, <laughs> Officer Tashner even came into contact with Pennell's daughter, who was helping collect donations for a school fundraiser, and she commented on how heartbreaking it was to see this normal family and how it would affect them. Oh, my God. Um, and she doesn't even know that her dad is the reason this is all yeah. happening. Yeah, and she, <sighs> she comments on that, like, these are just, this is just his daughter, and she has no idea that this is who her father is. Uh-huh. And it reminds you that not only are the victims obviously affected by these horrible people, but their families are also just absolutely devastated. Yeah. By finding out somebody that they loved and care about could do such a thing. I can't imagine being either like a victim fam a victim's family member or being a family member no. of the perpetrator. Leave the families alone at this point, unless it comes out like, yeah, they knew what was going on. Majority of the time, they don't know what's going on, and it's Mm-mm. not okay to harass them. It's not okay to harass victim family members. Why would you harass um, the perpetrator's family? No. Especially if they didn't, like, if they didn't know, it's not their fault. Absolutely not. I mean, they're just as much victims as the people that, you know, this person is yeah, murdering. Their loved one is a monster who's destroyed so many lives and they have to live with yours now yeah they have to live with that guilt they have to live with the fact that their person that they loved is not is not even not only just the person that the person they thought they were they're genuinely people who like destroyed lives yeah i mean we we went off on a tangent there but we went off on a tangent but it's just it's really hard (sighs) to imagine um, but to continue, <laughs> anyway, off of our little tangent, um, finally, the attorney general approved a search warrant of Pennell's van. He was pulled over for a routine traffic violation and was immediately brought into court to pay his ticket, which was completely and totally legal for police to do in order to, to apprehend a suspect without them kind of like getting a little Yeah, without them getting suspicious or, about why they're actually being arrested. Yeah, where they don't run away or try to do a shootout or uh-huh. suicide by cop type of thing. So it wasn't used all the time, but it was something legal that they could do. The police searched the van. They found carpet fibers matching those that were on the victims. They found hair, blood, and the same brand of duct tape they found on Shirley. They also discovered a, quote, torture kit, unquote, Mm. complete with pliers, a whip, handcuffs, needles, knives, and other restraints. Oh, my God. My whole body (laughs) hurts just thinking about that. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) On November 29th, 1988, exactly one year after he claimed the life of Shirley Ann Ellis, he was arrested and charged with the murders of Shirley, Catherine DeMario, DeMario and Michelle Gordon. Good. He had unsurprisingly exercised his rights to remain silent. Of course. So to alleviate some of that pain... I'm going to hit you guys with a couple of Delaware fun facts. Oh, good. (laughs) Yes. So I know these aren't as like super fun as like my last bits, but Delaware is the second smallest state in the country next to Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is the least populated state. Um, Really? Mm, Yes. Okay. Uh, The population is under 1 million people in the state of Delaware. Delaware is only 1,954 square miles, so it is a little baby. It's so small. It, uh, 
Yes, and the capital of Delaware is Dover, which is fun because there's a Dover in the UK and in New Jersey. So those are some uh, fun facts, and those are like the most boring fun facts that I have. Unfortunately, Pennell was this, surprisingly, I'm sorry, not unfortunately, unsurprisingly, Pennell was described as being a, quote, typical all-American person, unquote. He appeared to be a normal family man who didn't have a criminal record. There were no signs in his background that were red flags, and no one ever thought he would be capable of such a thing. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Um, It's what they always say. That is what they always say. The trial would begin September 1989. The defense team attempted to get the carpet fiber evidence thrown out as inadmissible by arguing that Officer Tashner had no authority to seize the fibers. Had he succeeded in his argument, all of the evidence would have been swept under the, quote, fruit of the poisonous tree unquote legal doctrine uh i'm sorry what yes so i'm gonna need a little more on that please i was gonna explain it okay so the fruit of the poisonous tree legal document essentially it's in this scenario if he had gotten the carpet fibers thrown out Everything that they found in that van would have also been thrown out, including the hair, the blood, and the torture kit. Because in this state, in this uh, case, I'm sorry. So the fruit of the poisonous tree is if you've received evidence and that evidence leads you to get like a search warrant to find other evidence, any evidence that you've, if that original piece of evidence is found inadmissible in court all the other evidence that was found because of that initial evidence is also swept you cannot use it oh so, okay i understand so it's like the yes. reason for doing that is no longer valid mm-hmm. so everything else is no longer valid yes. I so got you. everything okay. else is kind of the fruit of the poisonous tree it's like okay. everything else mm-hmm. is tainted so you cannot use it. I so you. had, in this essence, had the defense team been successful, they would have gotten the carpet fibers thrown out. And then anything, they f- they got the search warrant to search the van because of those carpet fibers. Yeah. So anything they found in that van would have also been thrown out. I mean, and they I wouldn't feel have like, been able to use it. I feel like the search warrant should have come from the fact that the last time these dead women were all seen was in this blue van. But I mean, well, that's, that's circumstantial just... evidence, which we discussed in the first part of this. So how many blue Ford vans are on the road at this time? Like, you got to take that in- into account. So you can't just pull over any person that has it. So the evidence Sorry. was not thrown out and it was admissible. No. So it was admissible because the defense team was trying to say it was unconstitutional because the officer had no right to collect the fibers because she didn't have a warrant. However, he opened his door Mm -hmm. for her to get in. And then at that time, he invited her in, number one. And number two, anything in plain sight can be used as evidence. I mean, he invited her in. And by the laws of the vampire, Mm -hmm. that means she had all access. (laughs) Of the vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, but also anything in plain view can also be considered evidence. I mean, yeah, legal mumbo jumbo. (laughs) Legal mumbo jumbo. But right now, Rose, we're talking about paranormal mumbo jumbo. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the law of the land. Obviously. (laughs) Kathleen Jennings was the state prosecutor. Uh, She also had a backup in case the carpet fibers they got thrown up she did have dna evidence good for her i know leave it to a woman to have a plan b i know always (laughs) that was a joke always (laughs) plan b all right we're not talking (laughs) about (laughs) so she had dna evidence and pennell's case would be the first time dna evidence would be used in a criminal trial ever or just in delaware ever Oh no Ever. way! How his how is his case not more well known then? Because everyone's like oh, DNA. Everyone has that. Oh <laughs> no, shit, Sherlock! God damn it! I know, but they're like, man, DNA, name. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my goodness! Yes. 
So, yeah, my girl Kathleen Jennings is making landmark cases, okay? Yeah. Um, in order to argue why Catherine DeMero's DNA was in his van, however, Pennell claimed he gave her $25 for oral sex, then dropped her off. He even joked that she gave him $10 back. Oh, my God. Needless to say, that joke did not go over well with the jury. Um, no. Um, can you say poor taste? Um, can you also say know your audience? Um, also, <laughs> I'm sure his wife and children were in the room when he well, said that. His kids, but his wife probably was. Probably. I mean, it's her husband is on trial. I would be there. On the stand, Pennell was described as having, quote, cold, dark eyes that didn't move around a lot, unquote. His demeanor was cold, and he talked about Catherine like she was a piece of trash he could throw away. Ew. So basically, an asshole. <laughs> yeah. And the exact definition of what that is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The jury deliberated for eight days, which is the longest in Delaware legal history. Mm -hmm. On Thanksgiving, November 23rd, 1989, the jury reached a verdict and Pennell was convicted for the murders of Shirley Ann Ellis and Catherine DeMario. However, they couldn't be certain beyond a reasonable doubt that he killed Michelle Gordon. Is she the one who's body was so decomposed they couldn't identify the um, cause of death let me double check before i say yes or the one whose body was never found no michelle was the one with uh cocaine in her system and she died before uh during the beatings okay well he definitely did it i mean come on now i think because she's I mean, just because of the evidence and the amount of evidence they would have to go through mm -hmm. uh, and he would have to go through, they just didn't think that it was worth the time, like to put, not that it wasn't worth the time, but that they didn't want to put the victims and the, his family through the like extended trials. They wanted to convict him yeah, um, I don't know. I as mean, soon as possible and put him in prison and give yeah. him the maximum sentence for that i mean also uh, the whole you know beyond a reasonable doubt like if there is any inkling yeah. of doubt the jury is told well then you can't convict yeah so that's the other thing is that if they just had an inkling of doubt that gives room for appeals and that was their other thing exactly they didn't want him to have any excuse for appeal mm -hmm. and if he had a leeway to appeal one it could lead to the other two being toppled down. So I do yeah. have... Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Oh, what are you doing with that? <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> He's refilling my wine. Oh, wow. You've got a butler, too, in him. <laughs> he, I mean, dinner's on the table. He's refilling my wine. I just... I can't even handle it. That's so disgusting. I... <laughs> so... In this case, so negligence resulting in death is the go-to that people can go to if they don't have enough evidence to convict them on manslaughter. So, okay. And the state doesn't sue. Like, if you die because I did something, mm -hmm. but I don't get convicted, there's not enough evidence for the state to convict me for third-degree murder. Right. Okay. And we do the trial, the whole the whole kit caboodle. Try to keep this fact in your back pocket. And I am found not guilty. Well, your mom, as a private citizen, can sue me for negligence resulting in death. And because the standard of conviction is much lower for civil suits, a judge or a jury, not a lot of civil cases have juries, they only have to be 51% sure that I was guilty, mm -hmm. which means the likelihood of me being, the verdict being guilty is much higher. So they're most likely to give me that verdict. And then I owe you money, mostly. It's, oh, okay. I understand. Well, not I you because you're dead, but your mom. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, I no. pay your mom th like money 
usually civil suits end in some kind of monetary uh-huh. kind of thing. Yeah, like a payment. Um, um, yes. And because they're two damages. different... They're two different um, charges and they're two different types of courts. It doesn't conflict with the constitutional double jeopardy thing where you can't be convicted, like charged. Char- charged for the like, same crime. Not charged. charged uh, well, convicted of the same con- crime. Like you yeah. can't have a case against you for the same crime. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so if that helps everybody in the really jumbled, messed up way, I wasn't expecting to like explain it in this depth. What you said does make sense because uh, if I'm remembering correctly, don't quote me on this. I've had drinks. Um, <laughs> Anne-Marie Fahey's family sued Thomas Capano for yeah. some kind of damages. And they got that like they won that suit like they yeah. were given a payout from him. And I'm not sure, you know, what the case was that they filed against him, but they sued him for something. And they won. Yeah, you can you can sue people for wrongful death and stuff like that. Even if in the scenario that I just said where I did something and resulted in your death, even if I was convicted for third degree murder, your mom could still sue me for mm-hmm. damages in civil court. Like I said, it doesn't yeah. com- like it doesn't conflict in the constitutional double je- double jeopardy. Yeah. Um, well, I mean that, that makes sense too because like if a person is convicted of murder. Like, that's good because they either get the death penalty or they get life in prison and they're off the streets. Other people are protected Mm -hmm. from them. But also, the families of their victims get nothing from that conviction. So it makes sense that the families should also be able to file suits so that, you know, they can at least get damages from their pain. Well, the court, the criminal court, in some cases... In criminal court, the judge can, if they are found guilty, can add on like retribution, like uh, retribution and fines and fees and stuff like that to give to the family. It happens sometimes. I don't think it happens often, especially in cases where like the individual is from a lower class. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. But if the judge, I guess, feels like you might get more out of it going to civil court, he he won't put that in the sentencing. He'll Mm -hmm. just have the family do it on their own terms. Yeah. I don't know how that works um, because I think it's by it's a state by state. It's a judge by judge kind of decision. I don't think there's any real like Mm -hmm. hard and fast rule across the board on how that's decided. But, yeah, that's exactly what you were saying about the Fahey family doing that is the same thing yeah um okay i understand now you everybody understands if you don't then it'll be on the blog (laughs) (laughs) thank you for my little criminology lesson okay i'm ready to keep going you're welcome that criminal criminology criminology cost me one hundred and fifty seven thousand dollars you got it for free oh Um. (laughs) so our patreon link is um Please help us, we're poor. Um, <laughs> after the verdict, I did go through the verdict. Yeah, I did. I, it's been so long, I don't even know. I'm sorry, yes, we okay. went off on a really long tangent. We really went on a long tangent. We're back now. I'm sure Chelsea has deleted half of that. So he was found guilty for Shirley Ann Ellis and Catherine DeMario's murders, but not Michelle Gordon's because the jury wasn't didn't have that uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Standard of conviction. After the verdict, the prosecutor, Kathleen Jennings, received a bouquet of flowers with a card that read, quote, from the women of Route 40, you made us feel like human beings, unquote. And oh, the fact heart. that this is 1989 and there's this case against this man who was killing sex workers who were who were and are still deemed undesirables, invisible victims, mm-hmm. pe- th- people that nobody cares, like society doesn't care about. This means something. I mean... Absolutely it does. They should be treated like human beings. They should be allotted yes. the respect that any other human being is allotted by right. Yes. This is the one thing that is going to be a common theme throughout our podcast because a lot of victims are sex workers Kudos to Kathleen Jennings for being this badass prosecutor that made these women feel seen and heard and that they matter. Uh-huh. Um, 
The jury could not decide on the death penalty, and Pennell was initially sentenced to two life terms in 1990. The defense team uh, still attempted to appeal on the grounds of the unconstitutional seizure of the carpet fire bears, but... We all know how it wasn't unconstitutional. Uh, mm-hmm. Pennell requested to proceed without an attorney, and the motion was granted. He pled no contest to the two murders and asked the superior court to sentence him to death. Oh. However, he, he never confessed to the murders. He just asked for the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Pennell argued his case by quoting verses from the Bible that stated that if you kill somebody then you should be put to death. Thou those types of verses. Kill. That kind of, it's yeah. It's kind of a sin. It's kind of a sin. I believe Pennell was, um, not I believe, he was Catholic. His last rites were given by a Catholic, Catholic. priest. Yeah. So I know he was Catholic. <clears throat> On Halloween 1991, Pennell was sentenced to death under Delaware law. His case was automatically appealed to the state Supreme Court. He appeared before the court on February 11th, 1992. You and I were not even a twinkle in our mother's eyes. Not quite. Um, (laughs) And asked for his own execution. He remains the only person to represent himself before the state uh, Supreme Court and the only one to ask for death. He still refused guilt. He never spoke about the crimes in first person. He always discussed them in third person, like a crazy person Mm -hmm. um and doing so he stated that because the killer committed murder several times that it showed the killer took pleasure in the killing which since we all know he did it so he just uh, referred to himself as the killer yep he referred to himself like as the killer Mm, that's not creepy at all the person who committed this crime obviously enjoyed it because he did it multiple times which means Pennell enjoyed killing Mm. these people it took pleasure in it Um, Not a single justice in the Supreme Court asked a question, which was... That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, It it does not happen. Uh, The the attorneys who were talking about this in the article that I was reading were like, I can't think of a single case where that has ever happened Mm -mm. in the state of Delaware. No. Um, The court unanimously agreed that the execution was an appropriate punishment for Pennell's crimes, and the date was set to March 14th, 1992, which was only a month after his hearing, which I think was pretty um, accelerated. Most people sit on death row for years. For a long time, for, but also he's not, he's not fighting it. So Yeah, I mean, most people die on death row before they get yeah. to their execution. Yeah, so I think that because he was like, I'm waiving my right to appeal... Because you get it like yeah. an allotted amount. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He he wanted it. He wasn't they trying just kinda, to like, stop fast, it. Yeah, he fast tracked to the end. His wife Vera Kathleen Pennell petitioned the Delaware's chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union, most commonly known as UCLA. Uh, or I'm sorry, A U. <laughs> Can we take that out? I was about to say it is not UCLA. <laughs> I know, but all the letters are, like, right there. And then my brain, like, ran right over. Just jumbled right. them right up. The ACLU for a stay of execution. The ACLU did agree to represent Miss Pennell and attempted to challenge the Superior Court's psychiatric evaluation that they did on Pennell. They argued that more time would be needed to actually get a complete full picture of the evaluation for Pennell's competency but the supreme court rejected that argument the Mm. 1991 this is interesting the 1991 psychiatric evaluation cleared panel of depression paranoia and psychosis the evaluation also described him as a quote a pleasant attractive friendly 33 year old man who related well to the examiner unquote the examiner was a man by the way of course Um, he was The evaluation never diagnosed him with any mental health issues. Uh, Pennell's (laughs) Pennell's attorney had described him as being a conformist and that he cared what other people thought of him, which is not surprising. On March 14th, 1992, Stephen Brian Pennell was executed by lethal injection and was the first man in 46 years to be executed in Delaware. Mm. He had no final words and left no answers for his actions. 
The police were hoping he would disclose the location of Kathleen Meyer's body before he died, but he took all answers to his motives and crimes to the grave. Panels spared the victims' families and his own family years of appeals by fast-tracking his execution, but he never answered any questions to the police or the FBI about his motive or answered any of their questions in general about his past, about his family yeah. history. There's very little known about Stephen Pennell. Uh, so I personally don't agree with a death penalty. And in this case, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I think that's there, why. I, I definitely think there <laughs> should have been a stay of execution in this case. There, but also... He wanted to yeah. die, and I feel like if he was in prison long enough, he might have said something. I don't think he was strong enough. I it just showed this yeah. amount of control. He wanted I to mean, control. Yes, and part this <laughs> part of me says there should have been a stay of execution so that we could have more information. Another part of me says there should have been a stay because he wanted death so badly. I feel like he didn't receive actual punishment for his crimes because he wanted it. No, he it. wanted it. He wanted it. I don't. He doesn't get the right to say I want this. No. And yeah, it's, his victims didn't want it, so why should he, he get it? Yeah. He did um, state that he wanted to spare his family seeing him in prison all these years and the appeals and stuff. But, like, yes. I call bullshit on that. I just feel like he wanted to commit suicide. This is the way to do it. And he was going to have the ultimate power. Mm-hmm. He was going to have all these answers. He was going to have yeah. all this information about his victims himself. And he was going to take it to the grave. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the circumstances of ultimate his, power move. Yes, absolutely. Ultimate um, power move. And the circumstances of his actual arrest. I mean, he was taken into court for a traffic ticket. Like, I think if he knew he was being arrested for murder, he probably would have committed suicide before the police ever got to him. Yep, he'd have, he'd have killed himself, or you know, suicide by cop. It would have um, been something. But God uh, knows what would have happened to his family. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, was, also, going back to what we were saying earlier about the families of these people being victims, too, part yeah. of me feels like maybe his silence was a mercy to them. Like, they never have to know what his yeah. motives were, why he did what he did, which, it, I, I mean, in a way, in a way, yeah. it can be a mercy. But It's like we're trying to give this person, like, a, a milliliter of humanity. Oh, he had and none. He was absolutely. We'll, we'll never really a understand because he let him. He killed. He basically essentially killed himself. He did. He um, did. It was suicide by and it was jury, basically. The ultimate power move. Selfish. That's one of the reasons why I don't believe in capital punishment, um, amongst other things that are not actually important, but. More common. <laughs> there are a lot of innocent people on on death row. I mean, morals. Um, what are those? What are morals? Um, so that's all I have on the Route 40 killer, Delaware's only serial killer. Well, known serial killer. At least no. I hope it's the only serial yeah, killer. I, I hope so. But um, he's the only known one. And yeah, there's not much about his history. I guess people have been really close there's no Google back then. Hmm. There's no Facebook back then. So it's not like I can go divulge a deep dive on any of that. Yeah, no. So nobody's really disclosed anything about him. So if anybody wants to write a book or Netflix do a movie, uh, just drop mean, in hints for Netflix. Like, you want to do a movie Netflix? Here you go. Here, just drop in tidbits. Please film things in Delaware and use Delaware filmmakers because they deserve it <laughs> um yes absolutely um, i will move right back home if that's the case <laughs> there are really talented people that work in that uh, industry in delaware and their um i can attest talents are not known. <laughs> their talents aren't known because nobody wants to do it's anything in delaware. delaware do you want a couple more fun facts before we sign off why not we all know that Joe Biden is the former vice president of the U.S. and he was a Delaware senator, blah, blah, blah. No one cares. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kidding. Everybody knows that already. Whatever, blah, blah, blah. Fun fact for anybody who doesn't know, Delaware was an important stop on the Underground Railroad. Thomas Garrett was a man at the time who lost his entire family fortune 
In his battle against slavery, he reportedly worked closely with Harriet Tubman and helped more than 2,000 fugitive slaves uh, move yeah. through our stop in Delaware. So for anybody who doesn't know, Delaware was a border state in the Civil War, which means mm-hmm. half of Delaware fought for the Union and the other fought for the Confederacy. <laughs> yeah, fought for the Confederacy. Uh, actress Aubrey Plaza is um, from Wilmington. Some people is? might know her from Parks well, and Recreation. Yeah, I was going to say. This little show called Parks also, and Recreation. Also, oh, what's that movie? Blank and Blank Need Wedding Dates. Nick and Dave or something know. like that. I don't know that movie. Well, she's in it. <laughs> she attended Ursuline Academy, which is like all-girl Catholic school. Super fun. And participated in productions within the Wilmington Drama League. Her mom, Bernadette Plaza, is still an active attorney in Delaware. And yes, I have emailed her. It <laughs> has. I am two degrees away from Aubrey uh, Plaza. Aubrey Plaza, which means I am three degrees away from Robert Downey Jr. Oh, oh, uh, <laughs> hi, honey. <laughs> Yeah, we also have the doctor who developed the Heimlich maneuver, Henry Heimlich, who's oh, also from Delaware. That's right. So I for- see, you're welcome. I all- world. See, I forgot about him. I mean, he's so forgettable. You're welcome, world. If it wasn't for Delaware, y'all would be choking and dying. Okay. <laughs> I do have more facts, but you will have to look at them on our blog post because we are out of time. Yeah. Um, we have had, I guess you could say, fun. <laughs> I mean, it was something. Uh, I'm not sure what it, it was. It was but... something. Happy birthday, Delaware. Happy, Happy Delaware Day. Birthday. Um, we all talk shit about Delaware, but at the end of the day, we get really mad when nobody knows who we are. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, everybody wants to get out of Delaware, but Delaware will always be home. Uh, speak for yourself. Um, oh, wow. Okay. All right. Delaware will always be near and dear somewhere in my heart. But <laughs> if you enjoyed our fun two-parter episode of Dinner and a Murder, please subscribe and tell your friends to tune in for more information about the crimes we discussed and the restaurants, Capriati's and Wawa, <laughs> the holy grail of Delaware. Check out our website. Please follow and like our Facebook page at D-A-A-M podcast, our Twitter at D-A-A-M pod and Instagram at dinner and a murder. We love hearing from you guys there. So check us out. Rate and review us on iTunes and Facebook. It helps so much to get, get good reviews. We get, you know, more publicity. Everybody wants to listen to us. And we love hearing (laughs) from you guys. We like hearing your opinions. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, opinions, fun little tidbits about the cases we discussed, or you just want to leave a suggestion, you can message us on our Facebook page or email us at dinnerandamurderpod at gmail.com. If you would like to help us keep our podcast going, uh, please consider joining our Patreon. Uh, Like my mom, she is our our first Patreon. And Kim is all um, alone. You have to join her so she's not lonely. Yes. And we have some really cool treats for each tier that we have. We have tiers for every budget. We have tiers for every budget. I don't know all of them. Chelsea handles everything if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> There's also other ways to support us, which you can find out on our website. All of the links that we just mentioned are in our link tree in the description of this episode. Please be sure to tune in every Thursday for new episodes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next Thursday. Are you ready? Ready. Bon appetit. Oh, Oh, I thought you were going to count. count. Oh, yeah. Okay, let me count. Ready? Okay, okay. One, one, two, three. Bon appetit. Bon appetit. Oh, that was close <laughs> enough. All right. It was close. That was Just close. Smash them together. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>